Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello and welcome to Fight Back, the business innovation podcast. I'm your host, Robin Charney. Fight Back is where we learn about the battles, wins and losses of some of the UK's most loved heritage brands. In every episode, I get the opportunity to hear firsthand from the people fighting to transform their companies from the inside out. It's one of the hardest jobs in innovation, but also one of the most fascinating. I hope you think so too. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with two real trailblazers from Boots, a true hero of the high street. Rich Corbridge, Director of Innovation, and Dave Robinson, Head of Loyalty and Personalization. Hi, guys. Hi, Owen. Thanks for joining me today. Let me tell you a bit about Rich and Dave. Rich is the newbie of Boots, just four months in, in the newly created role of Director of Innovation. Rich came to Boots from the NHS, where he was the first Chief Digital and Information Officer for the Leeds Teaching Hospital Trust. Dave, on the other hand, is a long-standing member of Team Boots. Dave leads the development of new personalization capabilities within Boots, and he spent his career at Boots holding marketing, commercial, and business development positions both in the UK, the US, and Thailand. I'm really excited to hear from these two. So Rich, tell me a bit about what fight you're in and how Boots is being disrupted. I guess the fight's to stay relevant on the high street, stay new, deliver across all three of our um, sort of zones as we think of them, the healthcare business, the beauty business and the wellbeing business. How do we make people feel better? How do we delight the customer? How do we make it fun for our colleagues to work there? All those different areas are where we're focusing our innovation, focusing our change that we're trying to transform the organisation. And I'd add to that, I think we're in a place where there's more and more choice for customers, more and more convenience for customers. And uh, that's quite a challenge for us in a business with a a heritage on the high street. Uh, Two and a half thousand shops, never very far from customers, but in a retail environment that's that's a very different one to the one that even we grew up in, let alone when the business started 170 years ago. And this is their first director of innovation role, I think. Is that right? Yep. So why do you think now and... You've been there four months, I guess. So where's your focus in the first four months been? I think the now part is about pulling all the different strands together to have and give us as an organization a focus to drive what is a big organization with a large footprint across the area, a single way of trying to ensure that we don't miss any innovations. I think that's been the the, the reason for stepping into that place. I think the organization in recruiting somebody who's from healthcare specifically, and and 25 years in that marketplace is an interesting bet to place. I bring that healthcare knowledge and then bring an absolute reliance on people like Dave in the retail space, the beauty space, and understanding how to make that happen. So that's been really exciting in the first four months. And you recently launched, well, I'm sure you've launched many innovations in your first four months, but the one I wanted to ask you about was this video consultation in store. Can you tell me a bit about that and how like wh- how did you land on that? I guess I'm interested in the process you're using to get to the to decide. In the so virtual GP in store comes from a number of different scenarios. So first and foremost, Boots has in at least half its stores and um, consultation rooms where we offer services 
for patients, customers as they're in the boot store. What is really interesting is, um, on average, a store will turn away between 80 and 100 people every week that haven't been to see a GP, um, but have come to see their pharmacist and need X and Y and actually need to go to see a GP before the pharmacist can do that. So that was one of the genesis of the ideas. The other is the virtual GP marketplace has expanded in the UK. We're now looking at 14.8 days on average to wait to see a GP if you ring up and ask for an appointment. The virtual marketplace is predominantly a private marketplace up until recently. The NHS has decided that it will commission virtual access for every patient in the country in the next 18 months. You must be given the ability to access a virtual GP. What's interesting there is not everybody's comfortable with doing that at home, in the street, in the park, at work. They might want somewhere to go. Also, they might want to be able to turn around and get a a qualified healthcare person to, to give them some additional advice. So it felt like a a good trial, a good way of doing that. And that's been the the big part of this innovation is make it live in a small number of stores. Let's evaluate with the customers, with the supplier and the GPs, with our own store colleagues, and ultimately from a commercial point of view, can we make money? Is it useful? Is it something that patients, customers want? Are they getting benefit from it? We've had a number of customers through the door. Most interesting, though, is the positivity that's been in the media about it has been very much almost a, at last thanks boots for doing this rather than a, a fear factor of any kind of privatisation of the NHS, which was always a concern. And I think that's because we've chosen to work with the NHS to deliver that, not separate to the NHS to deliver that, which is a big part of where we've gone. Um, Dave, Loyalty and Personalisation, mm-hmm. that's a great title. Yeah, it, you're right. It is an interesting title and it's a very... Um, in some ways, it's a very broad title. Okay. Um, what, what we talk about, or what we mean when we talk about loyalty and personalization, really is being really good at using what we know about customers. And that's customers as individuals. We've got, and as many brands, we've got a whole lot of insight into what our sales are made up of, how people shop our stores, the, the reasons why they visit us. Uh, not uniquely, but we have a very strong uh, uh, position in this place. We know that at an individual customer level. And the key driver of that actually is the loyalty program we've had for 22 years this month, actually. We launched mm-hmm. uh, we launched um, in, back in 1997, if I get my maths right. Um, so that what that's helped us understand uh, to a very great uh, level of detail is how customers shop our store, what the demographics of those customers are, the frequency with which they shop, what they put in the basket at, at the same time, what they come back the next week to purchase. And that's a really, really rich source of data for us. I think the interesting thing that's emerged over the last um, uh, few years and, and almost every month that passes as a new way of thinking about this as well is the data about the customer is much richer than just a loyalty program. And my challenge and, and frankly what I find really interesting in the work I'm doing now is to think about that broader data set. Mm-hmm. If you think alongside loyalty card data, which of course gives you an understanding of online and offline shopping, browsing data helps you understand what customers are looking at. It's a great, as I would describe it, a great uh, body language to read. Mm. You don't necessarily see a customer making a purchase, but they start to declare an intent by what it is that they're looking at. That's really rich. Uh, we have a whole lot of information about customers whose eye care needs we serve through Boots Opticians, through mm. whose hearing care needs we serve, through uh, Boots Hearing Care, uh, what customers talk to us about when they call our customer support centre, what they think about products when they review them online with us, none of which is directly related to a loyalty program but when it's connected up together in a way that gives us a view of any of us around the table as multifaceted individuals becomes enormously powerful when you think about what the right thing to talk to that customer is about and are you using that data 
I guess, with Rich to kind of validate the innovation streams and threads that you're thinking of launching and products and so forth? Do, do, do they marry up? Uh, to some extent, they do. I think I would say that I'm probably more at the executional end of some of the ideas okay. that Rich might think about, because what I can then do is to think about for each individual, how do we make that idea as sticky and as relevant and as uh, compelling as possible? Okay. Because we might know something different about that person versus that person. That means that we need to deliver this message opportunity, advice in a slightly different way. And I guess it's also the triangulation of the retail knowledge and the brand knowledge as well. Absolutely. So it's kind yeah, of, you know, yeah. we know this about you and this is about our brand and this is about what retail is oh, if, and customer if, expectation. If you understand your customer well and you understand what you're selling well and you put those two things together, bang. Yeah, it's very powerful. One of the things that's really interesting though there, as Dave describes that operationalizing of the the innovation ideas. I think that's where Boots has, has built a transformation program different to other organizations where, you know, lab X, Y, or Z in Shoreditch would be many, many approaches to, to innovation and that way of doing that. What Boots has done is built a transformation program with the ability to operationalize ideas quickly as a minimum viable product, using Agile as a methodology to get there, working with partners, whether they're big Microsoft-sized partners or new startup organizations. And I think that relationship that Boots has created before my time um, using Dave and Dave's skills and knowledge and the team's mm -hmm. skills and knowledge in that team gives us more of a fighting chance to actually take bright new idea from not just a bright new idea that we'll get to in 10 years, but bright new idea that we've got four months to go from, crikey, we should do that to right now. It's live in a store and let's see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. It sounds a strange thing to say, but we have permission to fail mm -hmm. and actually being given permission to try, evaluate, fail and evolve is new for Boots. Mm -hmm. But not only is it new, but it's now a culture that our leadership team is really pushing into every part of the organisation, which I think makes me really proud to be part of the organization that's getting that right compared to others. You mentioned culture and I really want to dig into that. Can you talk, I guess, unpack that a little bit? And when you were kind enough to share some pre-reads with me, one of the, the, the sentences that jumped out at me was about willful disruption. Is that something you can maybe unpack a little bit for us? Because that sounds like a really interesting approach to innovation and disruption that you're looking at as Boots are trying to do? It's interesting. I think the term came from looking at all the different styles of disruption um, and whether it's by accident in conclusion to seeing a competitor do something, seeing it in a different business. So willful disruption has been coined as a phrase to describe taking all the different ways you can innovate or disrupt and trying to create a different way of doing it. It feels like there are three parts to it as a cultural change. So one is moving away from the reliance on experts and trying to create a place where we can make sense of things in collaboration. How do we get to person who works every Saturday for the last five years in store and what their idea is through to what our chief exec or exec team believe is the next big thing we do? And all of those need to be weighted in a similar way. And we've sort of worked with a phrase that David Holmes coined, which is around collaborative sense-making. How do we co collaborate together to make sense of the different ideas? Another part of it is the approach to partnership. So the idea that in the past, partnerships with big retail organizations were about ego. You're in a partnership, but actually you're in it to win it. That doesn't feel like partnership. And what we've tried to do is become more of a creative and ecosystem for partnering. And that's become a real part of 
our work with Microsoft in particular is how do we create an ecosystem where the whole group as a WBA group can benefit from the relationship with Microsoft, not as a who's going to win, but as a genuine how can we progress towards delivering healthcare on the high street in Walgreens, in Boots, in and different places around the world. And then the last part to it for me is something that our head of .com, Sophie, talks about, which is the move from shopkeeper to customer keeper. How do we curate the experience for my mum walking into Boots, using the, the amazing stuff that Dave's coming up with to actually offer a personalised experience that she's opted into and that she enjoys having that delight of the customer? Not that scary line of what are you doing with my data, but actually... Mm a positive experience of the stuff we can help you with and make it as easy as possible for you to stay here as a customer, not for us to keep our shop. And I think that's become really, really important in that culture. If I can add to that, the trust that we have uh, with our customers, uh, which is largely based on a foundation of being a healthcare provider in the first instance, is, is enormously powerful, actually. And when it comes to the space where we're thinking about using customers' data mm. and them entrusting us to use that responsibly and professionally and helpfully, um, that's a really good thing, actually. You know, to Richard's mum who comes in, yeah, we want her to feel really comfortable that knowing her is a good thing for her because it helps us help her, whether it means that we can get her the right medicine or we can serve her in a easier and more convenient way or introduce her to a product which is perhaps more relevant that she wouldn't have otherwise found if we'd asked her to find it herself. That's all good stuff, but the foundation of trust is a helpful foundation for us to build from in, in using data. Because we are a healthcare organisation, the do no harm is in the DNA. Yeah. And I think that spreads from pharmacists offering healthcare and prescribing drugs and making sure the right drugs are there, all the way through the system to what do we do with data? What's the next innovation? Where should we put our store? How should the flagship store be created? It's do no harm to our reputation, our ability to serve, our ability to be part of the high street. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you both mentioned partners and working with partners and ecosystems for partnering. Talk to me a bit about the types of partners you're working with and, and the advantages and what you've learned because you know from a microsoft to a teeny tiny startup two different languages two different <coughs> approaches i'd love to hear a bit more about how you're who you're working with how you're working with them what you're learning um, the first thing I'd say is we've got internal as well as external partners. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about the position that we're in now and you know more more recently over the last handful of years really is as part of the Walgreens Boots Alliance that gives us uh, cross cross border learnings in very big organisations, Walgreens in the US and Boots in the UK, enormous in the field that they play in, but very very brilliant opportunities for us to learn together. I think when we've looked at partnerships as well, those cultural statements about how we partner and who we partner with have been really important to us. And healthcare in the UK in particular is something we've we protect our relationship with the NHS, with GPs, with patients really strongly. When we decided to step into the marketplace to look at virtual GP consultation, the decision about who to partner with had to be done based on a who does the NHS trust? Who do GPs trust? Who are patients trusting now? The decision to go with Livy was built very much on those different parameters around that, the guardrails about making sure that this is an NHS service. You know, if, um, somebody told me this week um, about a survey that had been done about 12 months ago where Boots, Walgreens had asked populations 
across the UK um, who they trusted to deliver healthcare. And one of the roles on that list was a Boots nurse. There hasn't been a Boots nurse for 30 years or more. And yet the Boots nurse was in the top four roles that people trusted with their healthcare. Because people assume that when they talk to somebody in a white coat in boots, it's a nurse. Mm -hmm. And actually they're a trained healthcare professional that can genuinely deliver um, healthcare advice. And it's fascinating that they're seen as part of the NHS. And I think that partnership there has been really, really crucial for us. Fascinating. And aren't, I mean, do you not find that you're also fighting against people self-serving, you know, that to that discussion about trust and, you know, the Google GP, which, you know, even mean when I go to my local GP, she's like, you know, don't, don't look at, don't look that up. I don't want to hear. But, you know, how do you, how do you overcome that? How do you deal with that kind of, you know, the Google, I don't know, I'm sure it has a word. Is it the Google GP or the Google phenomena? I'm sure it has a word. But I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think the, the symptom checker capability is interesting because people walk into a boots and ask to see a pharmacist and describe what they've got. And the pharmacist gives them a more credible human-based version of the Google Doc answer. <laughs> and actually, you know, there's so many statistics flying around at the moment about the, the amount of people that go to GP that don't need to go to a GP. Mm. The new pharmacy contract pushes people to stop going to a GP who don't necessarily need to and come to a pharmacist instead. Boots is trying to make sure it's clear to the, the population in the UK and Ireland that we're here to help from a healthcare point of view. And in that sense... Customers want or patients want the self-serve is a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. We're very, very accessible to the customers that want to do that. We're a, we're a, we're a place that they can get to very easily to, to even validate what it is that they think mm-hmm. that they found out online. And as Rich says, put a human, put, put some human language around what it is that they've tried to decipher from, from the, from the web. But uh, the accessibility of GPs versus the access, accessibility of a, a boot store with the right expertise is a, is a, it's a powerful point of difference for us, actually. Back to that point about, um, partners. You're working with startups. How's the cultural transference between you and startups? How are you kind of ending up speaking the same language? How are you work? Is Are you easy to work with? Because a lot of corporates, there's some challenges on the startup side and vice versa. And I'm just wondering if you've experienced that. I guess we're a large organization. There's a lot of yeah. governance. There's a lot of, of challenges for startups to work with any large organization. I guess one of the things I would say, there's an enthusiasm there's a door open to startups and ideas, which is a positive start and a positive change to where we're going. I think that's been really important for Boots to, to indicate that the door is open and we want to hear and understand ideas. And back to Dave's point about scale, a bit like the NHS again in some ways, if a startup can get and work with Boots, they can achieve scale very quickly. We can curate an opportunity for a startup to truly move at scale and at speed to deliver. One of the things taking it away from our bread and butter of data and technology and moving it into first at Boots and one of the ambitions of Boots is to open up our shelves to be a innovator in beauty, in well-being, in sustainability and try to do that. If you're in the, the Covent Garden store and you see some of the what should feel like relatively simple things that are now delivered as part of sustainability, as part of being able to you know, fill your water bottle up with water in boots and remove 60,000 um, plastic water cartons, mm-hmm. things like that is, is simple innovation through startups that deliver products that goes on shelves at boots as opposed to data or technology solutions. Mm-hmm. And the ambition then from our innovation point of view is, is to open our doors and be first for choices both for customers who wants to see something new 
that isn't elsewhere, but also for the startup organization that's just come up with the bright idea of sustainable beauty product X and needs somewhere to launch it. And that's that's really important to us. I think that symbiotic relationship between a big organisation and a small one is a powerful one. It cuts both ways. Absolutely. It's a challenge for us to adapt our culture and our approach in order to be able to make that work. Similarly, I think there's a, or conversely, there's a big opportunity for startups to understand what needs to be true for a, for a corporate to, to adopt these ideas and actually you know, work them at scale. So I think both, both sides can learn from one another. Um, it's 10 years later. Where are we in Bootsland? What's what's happened? What hasn't happened? For me, 10 years from now, Boots will be in a position around healthcare on the high street in particular, where it genuinely is offering a service that is part of the delivery of healthcare in, in the UK, where we maintain that the fact we're blue and white in the same colours as the NHS and that we're part of that delivery. We support the NHS. We make the we sustain the NHS. I was at a, a conference earlier this week where we talked about imagine it being 2029 and people said Boots has helped make sure the NHS still exists. That would be a really good thing for me. I think the business of looking after people ageing um, with long-term conditions, with multiple illnesses, will grow and grow as well. I think it, it, Time magazine had predicted that somebody born this year will live to 135. Oh my goodness. That's, a, that's a big marketplace <laughs> that will need to be satisfied as we look at how do we help you live pain-free? How do we sustain your lifestyle with multiple conditions, which will undoubtedly will grow and grow as people live longer and longer. Dave, you're not getting off. You're not off the hook. Yeah, and I think, uh, uh, firstly, I'd build on what Rich is saying on the final point there around wellness. Uh, that 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 will surely be an enormous change. If I fast forward to when I expect to be old and uh, on more pills than I'm on at the moment, uh, I would fully expect uh, a civilised society to be making it really easy for me to get those medicines, not to have to leave my house and climb out of my sick bed to pick them up. Uh, seems like the last irony of civilization. So I'd love to see that change. And I think it, I think it, it fundamentally will. Um, what I would say in my space, if I bring this back mm. to understanding the customer, I, I think we are not very far from making uh, a, a retail and a physical retail experience a more meaningful one for the for the individual. And I would hope that some of the work that we do contributes towards a almost a redefinition of what a physical retail environment actually means and does for customers. I think that's an enormous opportunity for us. I think redefining its role and redefining that experience is a there's a lot of potential in that. So there's, a, there's it, a lot of potential. It's in not that. too late. People will come back to the high street if the high street is right. People are still on the high street. You yeah. know, we talk yeah. about the decline of it. Yeah. Millions and millions of people of are out today are. in mm -hmm. shops. Yeah. And we've got a great opportunity collectively to make that a more meaningful experience for the customer. And maybe it's putting some fun back in the day. Maybe yeah. it's making it li their life easier. But uh, God forbid the day where everyone lives within four walls of a building and everything comes to them. I can't imagine that that would be the case. We have a role to play in making sure that physical environments in retail and on the high street in general are uh, are more meaningful for customers. And I think we will. What innovation would one of you or both of you can answer this, would you have liked to have been part of? So something that's come to market or just, you know, even even a life hack, anything that you, you define as innovation that you think, oh, I wish I'd thought of that or I wish I'd been part of that. Less thought of, but more being involved. So the, sort of the change that iTunes has made to the music industry and the continued evolution of that, while sometimes frustrating as a person who's curated many a playlist on iTunes for the last couple of decades, 
I think that changed music, changed the music industry. Sometimes people will talk about it, not not always for the better, but it completely opened up people's ability to listen to and have a, a more diverse taste. I remember being at school and people were heavy metal fans or dance music fans or X, Y or Z fans, whereas now when I look at... Um, kids and their choice in music. It's a bit of everything. I love that. I think that is that fundamental change on culture, what people wear, what people think through musical taste has been huge. Fantastic. What about you, Dave? What's oh, your, uh, what's your man, innovation? You know what I would love to have been involved in? Sat-nav. Oh. I think that's just an incredible thing. That's mm. changed it's, my life. <laughs> there's so much to love about that. Re- you're repurposing, frankly, obsolete infrastructure. Yeah. yeah, it's up there in the sky and bang on, I've got an idea what we could use it for. Yeah. But when I think about how much it's changed the way in which, um, you know, the way in which we get anywhere, actually, the way in which we know where we are. Yeah. I, I think gone are the days where there's a middle-aged guy who says, oh, you want to take the A454, whatever, to get to well, a road. Still no, out one, there. no one knows the name of the roads anymore. <laughs> uh, and uh, Maybe it's the march of the robots. Maybe, maybe now we just listen to the voice in the car and don't pay any attention to the signs around us. Maybe that's the downside. But for me, it's a, when I think about how much it's changed... It's fantastic, but the starting point of those things are up there in the sky and no one needs them anymore. But you know what? We could make good use of them for this. That's a a massive change. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you both very much. It's been an absolutely fascinating discussion and I can't wait to see what's next to Boots. I can't wait to see what you guys are going to bring to market, what I'm going to want to buy, and and more importantly, how I'm going to be serviced inside them, inside retail. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Thank you very, very much. Thanks very much for having <laughs> us. It's been a great experience. Yes, thank you. It's been super. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fight Back. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and look out for the other episodes where we'll speak with more of those leading the fight back in travel, financial services, health, and other industries at the sharp end of disruption. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and a review. It really does help us to be discovered and grow. Tell your friends. Feel free to contact me at rcharney on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you are an innovation leader who wants to be on Fightback, please do get in touch. Fightback is brought to you by AAR. We're a London-based management consultancy helping businesses maximize their partner relationships across marketing and innovation. For more information, visit us at aargroup.co.uk. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the wonderful people at Something Else Productions. Thanks, guys. See you next time.